You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Lisa Barron and Stephanie Olsek, President and Program Coordinator, respectively, of Memory Care Home Solutions, a not-for-profit company in St. Louis. Today we're going to be discussing some of the issues in having people with early Alzheimer's have a more meaningful life. Today we're going to be discussing some issues uh, that early Alzheimer's and their caregivers run into taking care of their loved ones at home. To begin with, could you give me an idea of the vision of your company? The vision of Memory Care Home Solutions, which is a not-for-profit organization, is to extend and improve time at home for families who are caring for someone with dementia at home. What is unique about your particular program? The unique aspect of the Memory Care Service is that it's customized and it's in-home training and consultation. It's done through five-part component over a year-long time in which the memory care team of professionals visits the family, gets to know them in their home. We follow up with conference calls, and we are working collaboratively with Washington University, who's tracking all of our outcomes. What do you actually do when you go into the home? This is Stephanie. As program coordinator of Memory Care Home Solutions, our true focus when we go into the homes is on the caregiver. Um, 95% of the assessment tools that we use when we go into the homes focuses in on the caregiver because the caregiver a lot of times is the hidden second victim in this disease process. What are actually the tools that you incorporate into your program when you go into the family's home? When we go into the family's home, the tools that we use are standardized tools that a lot of people see out in the community. They are the gold standard of tools that we use. Within the assessment tools, we gauge how the caregiver is doing on a daily basis. We want to see what their burden levels are. Do they feel confident in caregiving? Where do they feel that the daily issues arise? We also take a look at the person who is dealing with Alzheimer's disease and what their functionality is whether they're able to complete activities of daily living, whether they're able to complete instrumental activities of daily living. And at the same time, we take a look throughout the household, at every room, at every component in the room that they use on a daily basis. We, number one, want to make sure the household is a safe environment for them to live, but at the same time, we want to be able to make suggestions for them on how to change items to better accommodate the person who's dealing with Alzheimer's disease. In my practice, certainly, the caregiver was often also elderly and might even have lost some cognitive skills. I was always impressed that I was wondering how the medications were being passed out that I was ordering and how accurate the dosages were. And that is a huge issue with a lot of our caregivers today. Um, The number one question, one of the number one questions that we receive is about medication management issues because people are afraid that if they're not able to manage their medications, that that might be the next step for long-term care. Actually, we have found with our caregivers that there are a lot of ways for medication management to happen in the household. We have made suggestions such as setting up medication management systems. They might be automatic systems where it's an automatic machine that reminds them. 
It might be a call-in system where it's somebody who calls their home and makes those medication reminders to them. But at the same time, it just might be setting up a general system for them. We have a lot of caregivers, when we ask to see their medications, they pull out a big shoebox that is filled with vials of medication. So it's setting up a simple pillbox for them on a weekly basis, um, on a daily basis, that they can pull out and assure themselves they are taking their correct meds. You know, one of the most common problems in my practice was falling. When you go into the home, do you look at things like falling rugs, stoves? It is not uncommon for people to wander out on the street if the caregiver is not around. Does your program incorporate any kinds of tools for that? It incorporates all those tools that you just mentioned. In fact, one of my number one pet peeves is throw rugs. Throw rugs in anybody's household. Because it doesn't matter the age or your cognitive level, anybody can fall on a throw rug. And we mention that to our caregivers. We also see issues with stairs and railings with stairs. Um, A lot of times as we age, our vision might age at the same time. So they're not able to navigate the stairs as well. So it's making suggestions on maybe painting the stairs if they're wooden, Um, putting bright tape on the stairs so they can tell where the edge of the stairs are. A lot of times our caregivers, what they do, if they're working with somebody in their household who has early onset or early stage Alzheimer's disease and is still cooking, they will allow them to cook while they're at home. Because some of these caregivers have seen instances when they left the home their loved one cooks and forgets to turn off the stove or the oven. So while the caregiver is gone, a lot of times they will just disconnect the stove. Could you tell me what we can do to better support our caregivers, the community at large? To better support our caregivers, we need to step in and do for our caregivers. We don't need to stand around and wait for them to ask. If you are going to the grocery store and you're a neighbor of somebody who's a caregiver, go ahead and pick that loaf of bread up for them. Go ahead and pick that gallon of milk for them because they will need it. They are not going to ask for help. It's us stepping in to assist. What's unique about your program that has made the University of Washington in St. Louis proceed with research projects based on your findings? Well, the reason why Washington University has joined collaboratively in our effort and is tracking outcomes is because it's a unique service that looks specifically at caregivers and the in-home customized training and consultation that we provide them. Specifically, Washington University is interested in tracking several outcomes. They would like to see how this in-home training and and strategy sessions impact on reduction of caregiver stress, the functioning ability of the person with dementia, and whether, in fact, this does reduce overall health care utilization costs. So what we are seeing is a reduction of caregiver stress, reduction of ER visits, reduction of calls to professionals in the health care, and ultimately what we are tracking is delaying institutionalization. When you began to try to recruit people for your program, how did you go about it? Well, we've gone about recruiting caregivers and their families through a variety of ways. One is directly through hospitals and presentations to their patient care leadership teams 
and then the actual therapy teams that are going into the home who see who actually needs help so they can refer them to our service. Beyond that, we have presented to neurologists and geriatricians and PCPs, primary care physicians, who have a large percentage of patients who are uh, experiencing dementia of any form. That could be Alzheimer's, late-stage Parkinson's, multi-infarct, Lewy bodies. And certainly we are getting through on the social service end, home health care agencies, senior centers, and making sure that the community at large knows about the unique memory care service. How are you going about funding? Well, as a 501c3, as a not-for-profit corporation, we have standing to apply to a number of foundations whose mission meets with ours and who are interested in either innovative healthcare initiatives or extending time at home and allowing people with dementia to lead as independent a life as possible, as well as providing respite and independence to the caregiver. Our, our funding has really come where there is that meeting of mission of the foundation as well as mission of our not-for-profit. Uh, eight out of ten caregivers are usually members of the family of the patient. Are you having also training for people who might be hired by the family to be caregivers? In fact, yes, we have done with our caregiver families where they have a professional who comes in and also assists them with caregivers, and they want to make sure that that caregiver is on the same page that they are with caregiving initiatives. So we have gone in and trained those professional caregivers in better dealing and changing to that family's new normal because that, in fact, is what it is for that family. Before they walked in to the doctor's office, before the diagnosis, they had one normal. And a lot of times after the diagnosis, they see a new normal. So it's adjusting to that new normal. Also, in light of the large burgeoning population of caregivers and families who are looking to professionals for assistance in the home, we have a training environment which is a simulated home. And we have done professional training for home health care agencies and their professionals at the simulated training environment, which is set up basically as a home with all of the assistive devices that we recommend. And the key thing with our family caregivers is that they have confidence in the professional caregivers that come into their homes because these professional caregivers are allowing respite for the family caregivers, which they so very need. Have you done anything about recruiting people who professionally might like to learn how to be a caregiver? Well, one thing that we have done is through our different training venues that we have set up, we've had open houses that are open not only to the public at large, but as you said, to people who may be interested in the geriatric profession. Another very interesting prospect are interns in the schools of gerontology here in St. Louis. And the people who have attended the open house have been professionals, family caregivers, and like you said, prospective professionals. Last week I interviewed a Dr. Robert Butler, president and CEO of International Longevity Center in the United States. His great concern was our need for more caregivers. And often it is an entry job they are often not trained. They are also poorly paid and also don't have insurance, which aggravates an already growing population. As everybody knows, we have over 45 million people in the United States who have no insurance, and this is another group of people who certainly will not be insured. How does your organization see themselves fitting into this dilemma? 
that is absolutely an opportunity that we would welcome. We have an entire curriculum set up for training, and as I've said, some health companies have already enlisted our services to train their professionals. They see that there is a real niche and need for dementia-trained professionals going into the home. Before I leave, if any of our listeners would like to contact Memory Home Solutions, could you tell us how they best can do it? Well, they can reach us by phone at area code 314-426-6247 or visit our website at www.memorycarehs.org. I'd like to thank Lisa Barron and Stephanie Olsek, President and Program Coordinator, respectively, of Memory Care Home Solutions. I am Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.